Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. I want to get this out of the way first. I'm sorry that we did not have an episode for you last week leading in to Daytona. We have Corey Heim on the show with us. That was the plan. And as happens sometimes in the real world when you're doing adult things and you're making work trips and you're busy and you have one of the most exhausting, excruciatingly cool, fun, but work-filled weeks of your life, you don't have time to get it out. So I was driving into the track on Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. I don't even remember what day it was. And the trucks were either on track or they were about to go on track. And I had an epiphany. I was like, oh my God, I haven't dropped the pod this week. And the whole day I had planned out, I was balls to the wall, doing a bunch of stuff. That's my roundabout way of making an excuse and saying I didn't have an episode for you last week. So for that, I apologize. Fear not. We are back. I don't know about better than ever because I'd like to think that my best is all the time. But we are here this week and we have Corey Heim on with you this week for a delayed post-Daytona chat. So we're going to chat with him a little bit about his new adventures at Tricon Garage, formerly David Gilliland Racing. Also going to chat a little bit about the 65th running of the Great American Race. Of course, as you know by now, that was won by Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Headed to Fontana this weekend, a a wet Southern California weekend that it's looking like, according to the forecast, fingers crossed and knock on wood that hopefully that changes. But before we do any of that, as always, let's throw it over to Papa Siegel and see what he has cooked up this week for the Wayback segment and the number 74. What do you got for us, Pops? Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 174. Last time through the numbers, we looked back on Randy LaJoy from the Bush series, as well as Slider Petrolsky from the Cars movie. Hmm, sounds like another week for the shovel to dig deep as we focus the Wayback lens on the Winston Cup series of 1974. It was an interesting one for several reasons. Back then, the country was in the midst of an OPEC oil supply crisis. Gas prices soared to over 50 cents a gallon. Yes, you heard me right, and stop laughing. Back then, it was a big deal, and adjusted for inflation, that's like 325 a gallon today. Regardless, it wasn't even so much about how much gas cost, there just wasn't any to be found. The evening news each night would show miles-long lines of people hoping to get a couple of gallons. So, you probably can understand that the country wasn't too excited about gas-guzzling race cars going round in circles. NASCAR responded by shortening the first 15 races of the schedule that year by 10%. Window dressing in a pure PR move, if you ask me, but the Francis were pretty good at that kind of stuff. Another big change related to Benny Parsons' championship from the prior year, 
when he won it while only winning one race. In reaction to that, NASCAR changed the points system to reward race winners. Sound familiar? Richard Petty won 10 races that year, and he took the championship by finishing more than 550 points ahead of Cale Yarbrough. But for me, the real story, as we've discussed before, was that David Pearson finished a strong third, even though he only ran 19 races, as opposed to the 30 run by the King and others. 1974 also was the year before three young guns named Rudd, Elliot, and Earnhardt joined the Cup Series. That's all for this week. Back to you, Doof. Thank you, Dad. Appreciate that. I gave him a short notice because, uh, as you can tell, things have been a bit hectic over here. So I was like, hey, I need 74. Can you get it to me today? He's like, yep, I got you. I was like, all right, cool. Thank you, Dad. So appreciate that ode to the number 74. We look forward to the Diamond Anniversary next week. Maybe we can get a little NASCAR 75th Anniversary mention next week, Dad. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. I guess we'll see. All right. Let's start off this episode, as we always do, with a good old-fashioned and throw it straight over to my chat with Tricon Garage's Corey Heim. Big-time moves for this young driver this offseason. He is one of, if not the top prospect in the pipeline for Toyota, and they were not going to let him out of his grasp. So even though KBM shuttered its doors as it pertains to Toyota, there was a spot for him waiting over at Tricon. Got into a little bit of conversation about how that move happened, what the timeline was like, if he was briefed on what was happening, and if he was assured he'd have a spot. Now that he does have a spot, what's he going to do with it? He's won twice in the Truck Series before last year at Atlanta, his home track, and obviously backed that up at Gateway. So what are realistic expectations for him in 2023? How about leaning on his teammates? There's a lot of different drivers that are going to be coming in and out of Tricon's garage, pun intended. So how's he going to lean on them? Is he the anchor driver? We don't know, but his mindset may surprise you a little bit in terms of how he's approaching this season. So I will get out of the way, and without further ado, give you my conversation with Tricon Garage's Corey Heim. Pleasure to welcome on to the show this week. Look at the time. It's time time. Corey Heim of Tricon Garage is with us. Do you have a watch on you at all times and you just do that joke to people? Because if I was you, I would. No, no, I never really have one on me. But uh, <laughs> no, it's uh, a, a joke that'll kind of land for, for hopefully a long time. Hopefully it's six on me. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, so it's Daytona week because when this airs, it will be Daytona week. Are you getting hype? Are you getting excited? I'm, by the time that everybody's listening to this, you probably have already been on track at this point. But the long off season, the long preseason, it is no more, and racing season is here, my friend. Yeah, I'm pumped up for it for sure. I mean, it's been a long off season for me. Uh, I was able to do a couple races here and there in the late models to kind of, you know, knock the rust off or keep the rust off, if uh, if you will, and um, you know, getting ready for the year. I think it's going to be. Uh, really exciting with a new team, uh, new people, Tricon Garage, and we just announced Safe Flight today, so that was really cool. But um, yeah, just uh, really, really looking forward to what we got in the in the, in the progress here. Um, everyone's just been working so hard over the off season and made this uh, switch to the new team really easy for me, and um, I'm excited to see what we got. 
How has that transition been? You're driving the 11 truck full-time this season. It's a new team for you, same manufacturer. But besides you switching teams, the team itself has undergone a big rebrand. They've changed manufacturers. So it's new for you, but it's really new for the entire team. Yeah, I feel like Toyota Racing has really made this process pretty easy for me. Um, I was a little worried when, you know, I heard that I'd be switching teams. Uh, but, you know, throughout this whole process, I feel like it's been, you know, nothing but great. I feel like Tricon's really welcomed me in as one of their own and, and as family. So um, it's been, you know, really easy for me to make the switch and kind of meet my new team and my new people. Um, it's never easy to do that, really. But uh, I feel like it's been, you know, the, the easiest that it can be, if you will. And I'm um, definitely looking forward to see what we got at Daytona. So KBM last year, we obviously know Kyle moving over to RCR. That tie to Toyota could not stay. Can you give me like a timetable of when you figured out that you wouldn't be back with them because Kyle was leaving and when Toyota kind of let you know what their plan for you was going to be for 23? Yeah, I mean, I really wasn't much far ahead as any, any more far ahead than anyone else. I feel like I kind of got the news uh, when, you know, any kind of fan did as well. I feel like I was just kind of um, waiting for it. You know, I kind of knew the situation and I knew, you know, what was at stake. Um, obviously if, you know, Kyle went to RCR, that would kind of shake up everything. And, um, I was kind of mentally prepared for that. I feel like, you know, what, what am I going to do? You know, I just kind of let it have to let it play out a little bit. Um, and yeah, I mean, as soon as everything got announced, I, I found out maybe like a couple hours earlier. So, uh, wasn't, you know, a huge heads up for me, but I mean, it was before Phoenix, so it wasn't like the end of the world. I mean, I had plenty of time to prepare for my last race, the KBM, and then kind of get ready for the new team. And we kind of, um, you know, Toyota racing had a backup plan, you know, pretty early on in the, in the process. So I feel like just having, you know, something to lay onto if everything kind of fell apart, which I wouldn't say it necessarily fell apart. It's just business, but, um, you know, to have as good of a plan that Toyota racing did and to put me in as good of a situation that I feel like I'm in now, um, is definitely, you know, something that makes me feel like, um, I can still go out and succeed. And I, I think we might even be better than last year. You're clearly one of the uh, the most valuable assets for Toyota as a manufacturer overall. Were they kind of in your ear throughout the process saying like, look, we don't know what's going to happen with KBM, but we assure you, you will be fine. You will have a place in our organization. Did they give you that comfort level? Yeah, absolutely. And I think regardless of whether they said it or not, you know, I've been with Toyota Racing for years now and um, I've, I've gone through team switches before and I feel like uh, the whole process has always been pretty easy. So uh, I always have had faith with them. If everything kind of switches plans or everything kind of shifts gears a little bit, I, I kind of always know that I'll I'll have a home somewhere. And, um, you know, once again, it uh, history repeated itself. And we're I found myself in a pretty good situation. We've got fast trucks waiting to roll off the lift gate. So you said it was a bit nerve wracking switching teams. I'm sure anybody in your position would feel that way, especially a younger driver like yourself. What specifically had you nervous? Was it just the fear of the unknown kind of thing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I've never had a full-time year under my belt in trucks. So uh, to give myself that opportunity in the best possible, you know, scenario um, was something that, you know, even if I was still with, you know, KBM, I, I don't, I don't know if the situation would have been the same and whatnot, but, um, you know, just, you kind of always are stressed out, right? I mean, it's, it's racing. You don't know what the funding is going to look like the next year. You know, you kind of live on the edge a little bit, if you will, as far as just what your next year looks like. So, um, you know, just to have uh, an idea as early as I did of what I was going to be doing, whether I was with KBM again or, or we switched to Tricon, um, to have that early of an idea was really nice. And to be able to mentally prepare for that made my stress go down a good bit. But, um, you know, it all came together really well, and I'm super excited to get going. 
So you got Scott Zipidelli in your ear atop the pit box as your crew chief. That boy thing, knows a thing or two about winning races in the Truck Series, winning a championship in the Truck Series. What do you think it's going to be like to have him in your ear when the engines fire up at Daytona? Yeah, I mean, once again, you go back to the, the best possible scenario, and I think, once again, that's it. I mean, Scott's won championships. He's won races. He's um, one of the most highly respected crew chiefs in the trucks, if not the most highly respected. And, um, you know, he's got the experience, too. I think that's huge to uh, to me, someone who doesn't have maybe the most experience, uh, to, to be paired up with someone who has that experience on the crew sure. chief side and the spotter side as well. Um, you know, that's really big for me. So, um, you know, to be surrounded by people that have been there and done that, I think is, is super important for me. And, um, you know, I keep going back to it, but I just think it's really the best possible scenario for success. And, um, I really think we're going to have a successful 2023 season. Apologies for not knowing who's your spotter this year. That's going to be Tony Hirsch, Tony Hirschman. Got it. So obviously he has experience working with KB from when he was at JGR. Yep. Uh, that's going to be good. So you got Scott on top of the pit box. You got Tony as your eye in the sky. That's good to have yep. a lot of good experienced people around you. I also can't help but notice. So DGR dollar and swear jar Tricon. Sorry. They put out a graphic uh, of all their crew chiefs for this year. Scott is obviously with you on the 11 Derek Smith and Seth Smith literally look like identical twins. Cause I think they are. Do you ever yeah, get them are. confused in the shop? Uh, a little bit, you know, I've been kind of getting to know my own team first and, you know, to, sure. to know those guys that have already been there with the team is nice. I feel like it's, it's always good to have people that have, you know, um, been with the team, even if you are going through a fresh start sort of thing, like DGR did to Tricon. Um, it's always good to just keep some of the guys and and have that experience to know what works within their own equipment and what doesn't. So uh, it's cool to see them staying with the team and, you know, hoping to improve and kind of learning off of Scott and Scott learning off of them. And I think, uh, you know, two really solid truck teams in the past handful of years combining is going to make for one really, really good truck team. So uh, definitely can't go wrong. Not enough that we had Taylor and Tanner to try to differentiate. Now we got Derek and Smith. They, yeah. they all four of them essentially look the same. It's not easy for us. Yeah, I've never seen someone confuse Taylor and Tanner's names so much in my life. If you <laughs> if you watch any kind of broadcast, they always get it wrong. Like I don't know how hard it can be, but it's uh, it's difficult to watch sometimes. Apparently, it's harder than it looks. I'll I'll leave it at that. Um, there you go. So you ran for Kyle Busch Motorsports the past handful of seasons on a partial basis. Won a couple times last year, which we'll get to. We've heard a lot from drivers, be it Harrison Burton and Todd Gillen in the Cup Series now, Christian Eckes, who is over there, about what driving for KBM is like. It obviously comes with a lot of pressure. Kyle Busch is a borderline, not a borderline, he is a slam dunk first ballot Hall of Famer when he decides to hang it up. That comes with a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. How did you find Kyle Busch the boss to work for? Uh, he was always really good to me. I mean, he um, any kind of question I ever had, he was never... Uh, closed off about it. He was always an open book to me, even if it was like a very technical question on, you know, maybe a short time frame for him. Maybe he was about to roll off for practice or something in, in a cup car and uh, whatnot. He always, you know, found the time to answer me before the race. And I feel like it always really went a long way. So uh, he played a big role in my development. Um, you know, I was able to kind of grow with him and, and you know, understand what he expected. And uh, I feel like if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have been as successful as I was last year. And, um, you know, going into this year, I feel like I'll be able to take things that I learned from him and from KBM. I mean, there's a lot of experienced people walking around the building and uh, my teammates last year were, were both super, super good and they're going to win cup races eventually. So, um, you know, to be paired up with such a great team for my rookie year was, was great. And it's something that will definitely carry into this 2023 season. I understand that's in the past and you're a very fo focused forward type of guy, but I just have a couple more questions on that. Did you feel the stress 
at all, like when you were driving for him, because Todd and Harrison specifically have said when they drove for him, they felt it every single day now that they've kind of moved on. Did you feel it? Yeah, leading up to races, for sure. I mean, it's more of the fact that you're in the best stuff, I think. You know, sure. you're, you're in the best equipment. You're in the 51 KVM truck, right? I mean, you're expected to win. So uh, preparing for those races always made it a little bit more stressful and you know, just more of like having a lot of pressure on you. Um, but once you get in the truck, I feel like a light switch kind of went off for me where I'm just focused on what I need to do. I don't really let that kind of take over for me. Um, definitely makes the day of the race stressful, you know, before I get in the truck. But uh, as soon as I, I strap my helmet on, it's a different deal for me. So, um, you know, to have that pressure, I feel like honestly, it was a good thing just so I could um, keep keep myself honest and keep getting better, you know, every week and make sure that I kind of met the standards of what it takes to succeed in, in NASCAR. But, um, you know, to uh, to have that stress definitely sucks at some points, but I feel like it makes me better. Well, pressure makes diamonds. You had a couple of them last year, won that race at your home track out of Atlanta, backed it up at Gateway. Let's go to Atlanta first, because that obviously, that track means a lot to you. That was your first one in the truck series. Huge win for multiple reasons. Looking back on it now, a handful of months later, now getting ready for your first full-time season, that whole day at Atlanta, from when you woke up to when you went to bed, in victory lane, crossing the start-finish line. What do you remember specifically about that day in general? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a bit of a blur. I mean, I, it really still hasn't set in that I, you know, was able to do that. But um, it uh, definitely felt different because of the repave, honestly. I kind of, some people kind of overlooked that just growing up in Atlanta and having the old surface and stuff. It's not what you'd expect. And it kind of felt a little different, like, than my home track when I was there. Um, but, you know, seeing some old faces, I think they had Legends cars throughout the week there and, mm -hmm. and Bandoleros, which I grew up racing at Atlanta. So to see old faces and, you know, see some new faces as well and, and get to meet people around there um, is really cool. I feel like, you know, just that whole track when I was the whole area when I was growing up, there was always super supportive of everybody and we we're all a big family. So um, to, to first of all, have that for me going for me into the race and have all the support from my my friends and family in that area was was super cool. But um, and then be able to go out and win the race and say that I got my first win in a national series at my home track. Like that's, oh, yeah. like, that's like a Cinderella story. Right. So, um, it was awesome. Uh, something that I'll certainly never forget, but, um, you know, like I said, I mean, when I'm in the truck, it's just kind of a light switch. Like I never really thought like, Oh, home track, got to drive harder or something, you know, it's just right. got to go out and win whether I'm at Atlanta or out West or North or, or whatever. So, um, you know, to, to look back on it's super cool for sure. But, uh, in the moment it was all about getting the win. Did you have a lot of friends and family there? Were you able to celebrate and revel in the moment with them? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I had four friends on the pit box with me, uh, which was super cool. cool. I grew up with those guys and they raced with me and everything. So um, I, I typically am not able to bring a lot of friends with just because of, of sponsor obligations and stuff. But, um, you know, Atlanta was an exception for me and I was able to have them on the pit box with radios. And I, hopefully I made some memories for them as well. It's always super cool to kind of rekindle with some friends that I haven't seen in a while. And then on top of that, um, you know, get the win and, and have them, you know, store that in the memory bank for a long time. So yeah. uh, the whole day was was super cool. It just, you know, makes me happy just even thinking about it from last year. And, and hopefully we can go back it up. Sure you can. So Atlanta was win number one. You back that up a handful of weeks later at Gateway win number two. I don't think and I don't get the vibe, at least from you, that you're a type of guy that, you know, needs affirmation from certain people or certain things because your talent and your racing speaks for itself. But I'm curious if that second win for you at Gateway, if that felt affirmative at all for you, when you crossed the finish line there and you got that win, I know, like you said, the flip switches in the car and you weren't thinking, oh, here's my second win. But 
when you kind of soaked that in a little bit, did that feel different for you afterwards? Yeah, it did. You know, some people view Atlanta as a super sweet right now, which is pretty, you know, accurate. I feel like it's kind of like a, a hybrid mile and a half to a super speedway. And, you know, I mean, some people, you know, value that as, you know, maybe not the most valuable of wins ever. And I could understand that. So I wanted to go and get, you know, another one, at least another one throughout the year and um, ended up getting one at Gateway. So uh, to prove that I have what it takes to win on, you know, different kinds of racetracks and, um, you know, backed that up just a couple, uh, it was like probably two months later or something at gateway it was super yeah. cool. Um, definitely wanted to get more throughout the year, but, um, you know, looking back on it, it was, it was definitely a good rookie season for me. Um, definitely want to get more than that this year, uh, as far as wins go and, and success, but, um, you know, looking back on it, it was definitely a good year, a fun year. And, uh, like we touched on earlier, I learned a ton, so, uh, definitely don't regret anything. So bringing it back to this year and Tricon. So you got Taylor gray, you got Tanner gray. You got Dean Thompson, Jesse Love, as of this recording, got announced. Sammy Smith, he's going to run at Daytona. I think Jason White's going to run at Daytona. You got anybody else you want to pick up? It's like you got half the Truck Series garage over at Tricon right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a bunch of moving pieces for sure, uh, especially in that all-star truck. So <clears throat> to uh, to meet some new people is, is great and to have some knowledge, you know, from past, you know, years of some veterans coming in and running and uh, having some new faces come in as well is super cool. Um, you know, I've always have kind of found myself as one of the younger guys on the team, but, and, and least experienced guys on the team, but now I feel like I'm more on the experience side now, just one year later. So, um, it's definitely interesting to kind of see the, the roles change a little bit and, and drivers. I, I feel like I was always leaning on my teammates to learn and I still will be for sure. I mean, uh, Tanner and Taylor, they had some really great runs last year and they've gone to some tracks that I've never been to before. So, sure. um, I'll, I'll certainly lean on them for stuff and I'm sure they will, uh, lean on me, uh, at some points as well. So, um, especially cause they're new to the Toyota program and, and the Simmons stuff is a little different. So, um, you know, like I mentioned a lot of different pieces moving around, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly different to have five trucks in the shop, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, comparing to three from last year, but, um, Regardless of that, I think everyone's working really hard. We've got a lot of people at Tricon uh, for that five-truck program, and uh, I think we're going to see a lot of wins. A lot of money being spent by David Gillen, your new owner. <laughs> Have you gotten to uh, interact with him in or outside of the race shop at all, and what's he like as a boss so far? Yeah, David's always there. I mean, he's running around trying to uh, get everything in, in the source for, for Daytona and for the year. Um, he's been great, him and Kevin Ray and all the other uh, people who – make Tricon what it is uh, today have been really just working extremely hard. I think they're also a little, you know, you know, maybe not used to the the five truck team. So it's kind of taken some adjusting for everybody. I mean, um, I don't know. The, I mean, other than like Thor Sport, maybe I don't know any other time that yeah. a truck, you know, team has had five. Uh, I think five back trucks, to Roush so. and Cup Series in like 06, but you were literally yeah. what, three years old back then? Yeah, it's, it's certainly different, but uh, there's a lot of people at that shop. I mean, there's, there's, you go down to the fab shop and there's a ton of people running around, you know, doing what they need to do. So, uh, they've certainly got the personnel. I think it's going to, you know, maybe be some growing pain just to get used to the five truck team in general. But, um, at the end of the day, I really feel like my 11 crew is, is set. And, you know, a lot of people, um, if not all of them, I think came from Hattori last year. So the, the growing pains on our team individually, I think will be fine. I think we're um, in a really good spot to succeed. So you mentioned the, uh, TRD sim. I know that's where you just came from. Having that as a resource, I'm sure, has to be insanely valuable, especially for a guy like you who's still young, hasn't gone to a lot of these racetracks in this truck, in the specific vehicle. 
how often are you on the sim? How often do you get access to it? And when you're there, what kind of things are you working on specifically? And is Scott there with you? Give me the lay of the land for the TRD sim for somebody like you. Yeah, I mean, it's a tool for for me and the crew. I think um, for the most part, if you're talking like Daytona, just, you know, for the crew, for the most part, just trying different setups and stuff to make sure uh, everything's set up well. But, um, you know, most of our time recently has been spent on just getting our models right for the year as far as our setups and, you know, transferring everything over from um, from last year for the for the Ford side of them, for, for them to Toyota is a little bit different. So um, just just those growing pains a little bit have been different for them just because they're not used to it. But, um, you know, I think having Scott has been huge for them just because he's used to the Toyota program and the sim and having that knowledge in the past couple of years with all these different drivers uh, that have had success um, is super big for the team as well. So, um, yeah, Sim's a, Sim's a great tool. Without it, I don't think I'd be half the driver I am today uh, because they, I mean, they laser scan every track and then they sync it and your setups are on point. So, um, Sim's a huge tool. It's definitely come a long way in the past three or four years for me in the Toyota program. Um, and it's definitely getting better every year. So besides Kyle, who you used to drive for, do you have any relationships with some of the cup guys that run for Toyota? Do they cross paths with you at the Sim or at the performance center at all? Yeah, it's a lot of the people at the performance center. Uh, some new faces have been in there like, uh, Tyler Reddick, and um, some other cup guys and some Xfinity guys that have come in just to kind of pick their brains a little bit on some tracks that I haven't been to, uh, like the Las Vegas and Coda and um, some other tracks here and there that I that I really have no idea what to expect when I go there. Um, I'm a guy who really thrives in experience. So like the Kansases and the Martinsvilles and stuff like that, I feel like I'm really comfortable when I go there and I can fire off of the gate, you know, really fast and have a really good run regardless of um, you know, what we bring to the racetrack, I'll figure it out at some point. Right. But, um, you know, when we go to Vegas this year, I don't really know if I'll, I'll know what I need. So, um, to be able to pick those guys' brains that have been, you know, running handfuls of races there, um, throughout their careers is, is super important for me. Um, just to be able to get some information to, to fire off well off the, off the gate, um, and know what I need. So, uh, just to be able to have the, the access to that, I think is huge. And, um, you know, hopefully I can meet some more guys in the future that'll help me out. Places you're comfortable with. Martinsville, short track. Bristol, short track. Seems like you're a short track racer. That can't be right. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Tell me about your background besides the Legends cars that you mentioned previously. Short track racing. We're joking, obviously. That is where you've come from. That's still what you do now. I know you've done a handful in the offseason. When did you start short track racing on a, on a bit more competitive level besides, you know, racing locally at Atlanta Motor Speedway and the Legend and Bandolero and moving up to some full-bodied stock cars in your career? Yeah, 2017 was my first year uh, in late models. I started on pro late models um, around Pensacola, uh, Cordial, Georgia. That's kind of my home track, I would say. Um, and ever since that year, I've, I've gone down and run Speedfest in Cordial, Georgia uh, every year in January. I actually just ran uh, two weeks ago now. And um, that's always a really fun event to go to. But uh, just growing up and racing those pro and super late models was was super important. I think it's um, honestly mechanics wise, it's a good bit different from a truck, but just learning how to save tire and, and the mechanic, like the overall kind of feel of a stock car. Um, that's really the only route to go. I mean, I think people who come from road course racing that expect to be super good in a stock car right off the bat, unless it's on a road course, uh, they struggle more than they would probably think uh, just because if you don't have that super late model experience under your belt, it's definitely just a whole nother world. So, um, you know, growing up and doing that, I think I, I really don't regret anything throughout my career as far as my career path. 
you know, being in quarter midgets growing up and then bandoleros, legends, late models. I think it's all really just given me a great buildup in, in horsepower and just the difficulties of driving a stock car. Um, I think it's it's been a really good progression for me. And, um, you know, like I mentioned, I, don't, I definitely don't regret anything that I've done uh, to get here. We've seen a lot of drivers, specifically at Hendrick Motorsports, that previously had not really been, quote unquote, allowed to do a lot of extracurricular racing. Now they're doing so much that I can't even keep up with it all. I know yeah. a lot of drivers at Toyota, they do similar things as well. And I take it that you are encouraged by guys like David Wilson or Tyler Gibbs or anybody else at Toyota to get your feet even more wet and do more extracurricular racing. That's why we saw you over at Cordial a couple weeks ago. So I would assume that you're not going to slow down at all, pun intended. You're still going to do a lot of short track racing besides your full truck schedule this year, right? Yeah, certainly. It's uh, it's a work in progress right now. Um, I've raced probably an average of 35 races a year ever since like 2018. Um, and right now it's looking like about 25 to 28. So um, definitely want to get that number up. I think seat time is super important. That's why guys like Kyle Larson are so good. They mm -hmm. they run anywhere they can. I mean, they go to like New Zealand and Australia to run open wheel cars. Like it's crazy how much they race. And I don't know if I'd be able to do it that much, but um, I think any seat time is beneficial. Um, if I can find the time to do anything, it's going to be great for me. Um, I don't think um, I don't think any seat time is bad seat time. I think it's all all productive. So. Um, yeah, I tried dirt out last year and that was that was a different experience. And um, I really think it kind of opened my mind up to some different types of racing. And, um, you know, hopefully I can find some maybe some road course stuff to do and open my open my mind up to that and uh, potentially some more dirt stuff as well. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, any seat time is good seat time. Um, and hopefully we can find some some races to do this year for that. You've been to Millbridge at all? Are you interested in that type of stuff? Yeah, I actually raced uh, four races over there last year in a micro. Um, definitely on paper didn't have the greatest results, but um, <laughs> I had a lot of fun doing it and I had speed. I just, um, it's a whole different thing. I mean, it's like racing in a hornet's nest over there, I feel yeah. like. So, um, Sounds it's, like it. It's, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's it's honestly amazing like that we don't rag every lap, but um, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a cool experience. I mean, I'd like to go back someday. Um, it's tough to race on, on Wednesday and then race on Friday in the truck series, but um, you know, if I can find some extra days or something, I'd like to go back and try it again. I was doing some research on you and I know obviously you're a very decorated short track racer. I would say one of the best cause it's always Heim time. Did you <laughs> win your first ever super late model race at South Boston? The first ever, do I have that right? So not necessarily. Um, that wasn't my first super race, but I did win. I guess you could say I won my first late model stock race in South Boston until they, they tossed me. But, uh, uh um, you'll get that, that was like my, <laughs> that was like my, probably my 10 super late model race, okay. but yeah, I did win my first late model stock race there really should have, you know, taken the trophy home, but, uh, political, you know, stuff. So we'll see yeah, how that goes. That happens. You know how yeah. goes. All right. So I had my, my information just a little bit off, but point stands are really good. Um, cars tour. I want to chat about that for a minute. That's obviously been, really near and dear and close to your heart. You've done a lot with them, continue to do a lot with them. And this offseason, we saw Justin Marks, Jeff Burton, Kevin Harvick, and Dale Jr. come in as new owners of that series. Having the ties to that series and now in NASCAR that you do, that must have been really cool to see the uh, the quartet that comes in and is buying that series and helping take it over with new ownership, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's really cool to see people who don't care about like making money off of short track racing, take it over because they just want a good product. Right. right. Um, I think that's really big for short track racing. You see a lot of guys that buy like local short tracks that 
are like barely hanging on as far as profit goes and they have to make profit. So they like, don't really, they don't paint the walls. They don't seal the track, like all kinds of stuff. And it just by. gets messy. Yeah. So, um, you know, to, to see those guys come in and people that can really afford to do it the right way and not worry about making money off of it. Of course, you know, it'd be great for them to make money off of it. Cause that's just more money they can put into it. But, um, you know, it's all about just the quality of, of short track racing and running it the right way. Um, you know, it's really easy to have a series kind of spiral out of control if you get the wrong people owning it and not, uh, you know, holding people accountable for their actions on the racetrack. So people that have been there and done that, like Dale Jr., he's been he's been racing the late model stock the past like six to eight months. So um, he kind of once again knows what it's like to race and he knows what kind of tires we need, what kind of you know chassis we need, the, what the rules need to be, just everything. So um to see to see guys that that really care about the, the quality of racing is really cool to to see them take it over also did a deep dive so i i know that you've raced a lot of different numbers in your career 77 back i think that was on your legends car yeah uh 78 in a late model 51 mm -hmm. obviously in the truck series last year now number 11 are you into numerology at all like do you have any significance <laughs> with those different numbers because you've run a lot in your career uh, not really. Um, you know, I've always been a little partial to the 11. 11 was actually a number on my bandolero at one point because uh, cool. I grew up a pretty big Denny Hamlin fan. But um, yeah, I feel like the 11's the always been cool. I used to, you know, of course, like I said, have it on my real car as well as my racing stuff. And um, it's just kind of cool to to have a full circle moment like that and, um, you know, be able to kind of go back to that number once again. So um, not really into like the meanings of numbers or anything. I feel sure. like the 78 was sort of just something I kind of like, they, they literally said like, um, at Atlanta Motor Speedway one day, like we do not have duplicate numbers here and someone already has 77. Like, what do you want to do? And I'm like 78. So <laughs> that, that was the 78. It just kind of stuck for me. Um, I don't know if I'll be running that much anymore, but any kind of, any kind of late model race, I'll try to run it. And it's always been a pretty sharp and, and I would say unique looking numbers. So, um, that's always been cool, but you know, 11 has been a number that you haven't seen much in the truck series much recently. So yeah. it's cool to kind of reprofile that number and kind of give it an identity a little bit. Um, so hopefully we can uh, give it a good one this year. So let's go back to this upcoming year, 2023, hopefully going to be a good one for you and everybody at Tricon Garage. You've cemented yourself as a winner in the truck series. You've done that twice. Now with a new team, same manufacturer, what are you kind of looking at the season in, in terms of realistic expectations? Do you want to make the playoffs? Do you want to win multiple races, get to the championship four? Do you have benchmarks that you want to get to? How are you looking at this season as a whole? Yeah, I don't really look at the season as a whole. I mean, of course, you always have to have points racing in the back of your mind. But right now, my goals are set to win Daytona. And then after Daytona, our goals are set to win Vegas and then Atlanta. So it's, you know, it's one race at a time for me. Um, I think we really have a championship caliber team uh, and championship caliber caliber people uh, throughout our organization. So um, Toyota Racing has always kind of, you know, put me in a championship winning spot. And I feel like if it wasn't for a couple things last year, we really could have won the owner's championship as well, or at least had a shot at it. So, um, you know, we I, I feel like I've proved that I'm capable of, of getting to a, a situation where I can win a championship. Just, um, of course, you know, everything has to fall the right way and it all comes down to one race at the end. So um, in my eyes, you know, you focus on one race and if you get to Phoenix, then you, you focus on that one race once again and go win it. So, um, you know, right now, like I said, just focus on Daytona and I certainly want to win a, win a lot of races this year and compete for the championship. You don't seem like a, a cliche type of guy, but like, are you a metrics based person in terms of performance or is it quite literally just week to week and you're trying to just 
figure out what you need to learn on the fly with your new crew chief and team, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I feel like when you look at Daytona, there's not a whole lot you can really research. I mean, I could dial up the race right now and watch them run, you know, single file for 50 laps in the wreck. But, you know, obviously there's more productive things I could do than that. So, you know, looking at Vegas, been looking at Atlanta a little bit as well. So, you know, I say it's race by race. My sights are set on Daytona, but if I have the downtime, I'll certainly look ahead and, you know, just further my knowledge on any racetrack. And uh, as we touched on earlier, especially the ones that I haven't been to, like Vegas and, and Coda, those are really important ones for me because those could be a, uh, a really, you know, I don't want it to be a down race for me. I want to go out and compete like I've been there, you know, five or six times already. So um, it's going to be really important for me to do as much research as possible for those races um, and go out and succeed. Is there any track in specific that you're looking forward to getting to that you haven't been to yet that you think you may take a liking to? Yeah, really all of them this year um, that I haven't been to are pretty exciting. Um, Vegas, I went to live in all the races. Um, I just haven't raced at like Vegas right. and Cody yet. So, um, you know, Vegas is super cool. Just the the city and the, and the kind of, it's kind of a magnified race. I feel like it gets a lot of viewership and a lot of people are there. The fans are awesome. So to win there would be awesome. Um, and then I would say, Coda is just uh, really cool because F1 cars race there as well. And it's a road course. And uh, we were super, super fast in the road courses last year with KBM. And um, the 16 with, with Scott was really fast as well. So uh, we can kind of put some notes together and really go out and, and succeed on that one as well, I feel like. Well, Corey, I appreciate you giving me some time. I know it's a busy time of year for you. Good luck in this upcoming season. We'll see you down at Daytona and tell everybody at Tricon we say hello today. All right. Thanks for having me on today. Thank you. You got it. And we are back. Whew. All right. Thank you so much to Corey for hopping on with us. Thank you to everybody at Tricon Garage for helping coordinate that conversation, including Ryan Hines, of course, my homie over at the former DGR, now Tricon Garage, and Cullen Ronan. Okay. So, as I said, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is a winner of the Daytona 500. He's got the bling. He's got the trophy. He's got the check. He's got the jacket. He's got the swagoo dripping. So, let's chat about it a little bit. How did this happen? Well, on the racetrack, obviously, we know how it happened. Double overtime, longest Daytona 500 in the history of the sport. It wasn't really the Daytona 500. It was the Daytona 530. <laughs> Um, and whether or not, you know, overtime should still exist in its current form. That's another debate for another day. If you want to hear that, tune in to Thursday, February 4th, TMD on the SXM app. Because we got into that today, shared some thoughts there. But Ricky Stenhouse Jr. kept his nose clean, kept it green, won in double overtime, outlasted Joey Logano by that much when the finger was on the trigger and on the button in the tower as the caution came out. 47 was ahead of the 22, and boom, 47, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., JTG Doherty Racing to victory lane in the great American race. Now, a few years back, a couple years back, I guess, we had Michael McDowell win this race, which was a big, big upset, right? But that was not a shock to me and a lot of people because we know Michael McDowell's prowess at super speedways. Again, an upset, not a shock. Last season, similar vein. Austin Sindrick, Rookie of the Year contender, comes out the gate strong as a as a multi-time Xfinity Series winner and wins the Daytona 500. Not a surprise, not a shock, but you wouldn't have him on your shortlist necessarily, right? Ricky Stenhouse Jr. for me in this year kind of falls in the similar vein of McDowell and Sindrick, maybe somewhere in the middle because those two drivers had never won a race before. They won their first race 
in the Daytona 500. Ricky has won before. He's done it twice leading into the 500, once at Daytona in the summer and once at Talladega in the same year back when it was Roush Fenway racing pre-Brad Keselowski. So we know that Ricky Stenhouse Jr. has been, is, and will continue to be a really good super speedway racer, but he has developed a bit of a reputation as being pretty aggressive. I kind of made fun of him in my TikToks, and a lot of people have, calling him Recky Spinhouse, right? Because he wrecks a lot of stuff. And we've been hearing the story all week about how back at Roush, Jack Roush made him work on the cars that he wrecked because he wrecked them so much. So he's an aggressive driver. He pushes it to the limit. He oversteps that limit a lot of the time. But part of the reason why he got this win is because of that aggressive nature. You got to be on full tilt. You got to be going all out when it comes to these super speedway races, especially towards the end. Ricky did that. He put himself in a great position. Mike Kelly, who we'll get to, made some great calls atop the pit box. Tab Boy, the eye in the sky and TikTok legend himself, called a great race for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And of course, Tad and Jody Geschechter, the owners of JTG Doherty Racing, not to mention Brad Doherty as well, they stood by their driver through thick and through thin. And There's a bit of a misnomer going around the garage, or there had been, and that's kind of been dispelled this week, that JTG is a really low-budget operation. It's a low-budget team. They don't have a lot of resources. They don't have a lot of manufacturer support. They're kind of just scratching and clawing their way and trying to get by. Results-wise, you may be like, well, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they don't really run that well. They They finish outside the top 20 in points almost every year. If they get a top 20 in a race, that's kind of a successful day for them. But then we do a bit of a deeper dive, and people that are way more smarter than me, way more connected than I am, have essentially come out and said, no, that's not the case. Like They have full support from Kroger and all those Kroger brands for all 36 races, which is almost unheard of in this day and age in NASCAR. Tad and Jody Geschichter, they are not short on money. They do pour a lot of resources financially into this race team. They have a relationship with with Chevrolet. They do get simulator time. They do have data from that manufacturer and they have all the pieces in place to have a successful year. So what was the problem? Was it Ricky Stenhouse Jr.? Was it not the right parts and pieces in place? Mike Kelly is one of those guys that seems to have righted the ship, so to speak, already. And we're one race in because obviously we know they've had their success in the Xfinity Series, two-time nationwide series champions together, Ricky and Mike Kelly are, and he goes to victory lane back with Ricky in their first race reunited, and that was a big deal for him, being from Florida. He had a lot of great, profound things to say in the post-race press conference on the morning drive afterwards on Monday, but the one thing that I'll go back to is the fact that Ricky Stenhouse Jr. said himself, I think Mike Kelly believes in me more than I believe in myself, and that is something that is very very important for a driver and crew chief to have because if your crew chief doesn't believe in you and your driver doesn't believe in your crew chief, that's not going to work. You don't necessarily have to be super buddy-buddy and all hunky-dory and in love with each other and, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, but you need to have that mutual respect, and besides that, you need to have that belief. And speaking of belief, obviously we know now Mike Kelly wrote Believe on some duct tape on the roll bar right above where Ricky's head sits. And after the race, I was listening to their radio and he said, look above you, look what it says. Do you see it? And Ricky said, I see it boys. 
just like that, too. He's like, I see it, boys. Believe. And they believed. Mike Kelly believed, obviously. Tad and Jody, they believed. Just kind of a feel-good story overall for a smaller race team, an underdog race team, all things considered, even though they do have those resources, parts, and pieces at their disposal. And it's not the first time this has happened in the 500. Again, Cindric, McDowell, Trevor Bain, if you want to go back over a decade, back to 2011. So we know that this happens, but it seems to be happening a bit more frequently in recent years with that trio of McDowell, Cindric getting their first wins, and Ricky getting his third and snapping a very, very long winless streak. I think it may have even been uh, 199 races. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that, but it's been several years. So great for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Happy for him. Seems to be one of the more well-liked and well-regarded drivers in the NASCAR garage. I don't really think you'll meet another driver that has a bad thing to say about Ricky Stenhouse Jr., the person, right? We know that he's very well-liked within the garage on track. Some people may not like how he races, but that's a different story for a different day. Bottom line is, he's a Daytona 500 winner. So is Mike Kelly. So is Tad Geschichter. So is Jody Geschichter. So is Brad Doherty, the first black owner to win the Great American Race. That is so awesome, and we keep pushing the sport forward with our diversity efforts. So congratulations to everybody on the 47 team. Very well-deserved, and I hope that they're still hungover. Before we close things out today on the show, got to chit-chat a little bit about Auto Club Speedway, Fontana, California Speedway, whatever the heck you want to call it. Last race scheduled on the two-mile layout, according to NASCAR President Steve Phelps, according to track president Dave Allen, according to pretty much anybody you ask at NASCAR or ISC about this racetrack and the reconfiguration of it. I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist or like, oh, that's not true, fake news, whatever. I just don't know what to believe when it comes to the future of this racetrack, and that's because we've heard So many different things in NASCAR and Auto Club. They seem to be waffling about whether or not they're actually going to break ground on a construction site and make this into a half-mile track, or if they're going to keep it how it is, or if they're going to repave it, or if they're going to sell it, or if they're going to demolish it and do something totally different. I, I don't know what is going to happen. I don't know what I believe either, and I understand because there's a lot of hurdles in terms of legislation to get past. There are politics involved in the state of California, and obviously the future of racing in Southern California, as Nate Ryan wrote really, really eloquently in his piece for NBC Sports this week, I encourage you guys to go read that as soon as we're done here, it's at a crossroads, again, for the first time in like 25 years when this track opened back in 97, this was meant to be the future of auto racing in Southern California, and now we don't know what the future is going to be because we heard at one time it's going to be a short track, cool. Then we heard, ah, we're going to go back on that. We're going to keep it at the two-mile track. Great. Puts on awesome racing. And now we're hearing different things from different people and the verbiage and the words that certain people are saying of, we have every intention of doing this and everything's on the table and, well, we're not sure yet and, well, we may go to the Coliseum and, well, we're not going to go to Auto Club next year, so could the Coliseum become a points race? And I don't know what to think and and what the future is going to be. All I do know is that I do believe that this is probably going to be the last two-mile race on this track because the track's falling apart. The weepers are kind of out of control. Even though it's probably one of, if not the best surface on the circuit, 
you got to repave it at some point. This is the same conversations that we had about Atlanta on this very show a couple years ago, right? The drivers don't want anything done to it. The fans don't really want anything done to it. But at some point, you have to do something to it. And this happens at every single racetrack. Auto Club's not immune to it. It happened at Daytona. It happens literally everywhere. Road courses. For goodness sake, they repaved Road America this year. So I think the time has come that they need to do something. It's just a matter of do you want to spend multi-millions of dollars to repave the racetrack and then probably suffer for three to four years of bad racing like you did when it first opened? Or do you want to tear that down? Do you want to build up a new facility and make it a half-mile short track and race there in 2025, according to everybody at the earliest? I don't know. I don't know what I want either because I love short tracks, but Next Gen's not great on them. I love the two-mile oval, but I know that they need to do something to it. So I'm also kind of at a crossroads. But again, all I know is that I'm going to enjoy this weekend for what it is. Fontana has put on some bangers over the years. My, my mind goes directly to 2011 when Kevin Harvick was pushing Jimmy Johnson down the back straightaway in that Jimmy John's car, pushed him so far into turn three that Jimmy kind of overdrove it. Harvick was able to drive it the way he wanted to, crossed him over, coming down the trioval, barely nipped him at the start finish line. I remember Fox had that awesome camera shot and he won that race. His hometown track, I know Jimmy Johnson did it for his first one back in 2002. And of course, Kyle Larson did it last year. So I'm excited for this weekend. It's a little bit bittersweet knowing that the future is uncertain, but let's all try to take it in, reflect and and remember the good memories of Fontana. And hopefully we will have many good memories to come. But if this is indeed the last two mile race on the oval, hopefully we'll go out with a bang. All right, that's all we got for you this week. Thank you guys so much for listening to episode 174 of Victory Lane 2.0. If you guys like what you heard here today, please do me a favor. Leave a rating and a review. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, all major podcasting platforms. That includes Apple, Google, SoundCloud. You know the deal. Anywhere you get your podcast, even that little green one, you can get this podcast right there. We'll be back next week with another guest from the world of NASCAR to recap Fontana, preview Las Vegas as the West Coast Swing continues i appreciate y'all tuning in thank you again for understanding uh why there was no episode last week i promise i will try to be more communicative and better about that moving forward it was just a whirlwind week and i hope you guys understand thank you guys again appreciate you have a great weekend and enjoy the racing at fontana